0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. This is one of my favorite episodes to record all year. And today's episode is all about the best books that I read in 2021. Um, I've mentioned it before, but my part of my personal growth plan to ensure that I'm staying on track and consistent with my growth is that I commit to reading 50 nonfiction books Uh, every year, and I've done that for the past several, several years, and I find that just having that number, of course, we always want to be focused on being growth conscious and not just goal conscious, but I find that having a, a set number of books that I want to commit to reading every single year helps me just be intentional about staying on task with what am I reading, what have I read so far this year, what am I learning, how am I growing, and that's really the only qualifiers. it just has to be nonfiction. I read quite a lot of fiction books as well, but um, I commit to 50 at least 50 nonfiction books every year, and these could be biographies they're personal growth books it's a huge variety because my interests are varied and I'm always learning and I find that. I find that I can learn something from just about any good nonfiction book, you know, whether it's a biography or a memoir of somebody who's overcome something, um, some story, I'll let it read a lot of history um, and a lot of examples like that. And of course, the the self-leadership or the personal growth, as well as leadership of others. So uh, a huge variety there. And I find that it really broadens my mindset, my thinking. So, you know, when I think of that, that's for some people, that's a big number, and I realize that. And I'm not trying to tell you that you should commit to reading 50 nonfiction books every year. That's just where I find uh, my number to be in terms of my personal growth and development. Now, the thing about that is I absolutely love to read. Um, not, and there, again, I said earlier, I, not only do I read the, these nonfiction books, but also com- you know, just have a random number of fiction books that I read uh, throughout the year as well. And obviously those are a little more lighter reading, maybe a recreational reading versus learning from them. But I find that I really enjoy the the nonfiction books perhaps more uh, even these days. So some of the best books that I read in 2021, I always have to throw out this disclaimer, best is very subjective, right? Particularly when it comes to the best books that I read this year. Best could mean different things to different people, but when I say the best books I read this year, I mean either best in terms of inspiring me or influencing me, helping me grow in my personal development, or perhaps changing the way I perceive something, right? Changing my mindset or my level of awareness relative to myself or how the world Works. And so, you know, a little bit of qualifier, some of that best um, definition obviously is just where I'm at in my journey that year. So, if I were to go back and read one of these books in future years, it might resonate with me at a different level because of where I was in my journey. Right. So that that is a little bit subjective. It's kind of like you read the Bible one time and then you go back through a different season of your life and you read it again and you're like, wow, this is just so much. I see this so much differently or perhaps it has more meaning for me in this season of my life than it did, you know, when you first read it. And so it's a little bit like that. So there again, best could be very subjective um, and there is no. You know, there is no relative scale when it comes to best. It really just is where am I at in my journey and how is this resonating with me? So, the first book I wanted to talk about in this podcast is The Five Levels of Attachment, Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. And I've mentioned this book on a podcast before because it really, really was powerful in terms of helping me articulate or helping me speak to how we as people form some sense of our identity around external things or roles that we see ourselves in life. So um, he uses the example of a sports analogy, which I think is really powerful. A lot of people can relate to that. In terms of a healthy level of attachment to being a sports fan of a particular team is level one or two. You might could go to a game and you're you're really not attached to your sense of identity as a fan. Like maybe you don't even know the the two teams playing, but you you know, you you're cheering for one or the other based on some arbitrary number maybe you know somebody who knows somebody who's a fan or maybe one team's wearing red jerseys and so you say oh i'll pull for the red team right but but win or lose the outcome doesn't affect you emotionally because you don't have any high level of attachment to yourself your sense of identity as a fan of one particular sports team so that's all that's all well and good but but he talks about level three level of attachment it starts to change a little bit right at at level three level of attachment i call myself a a football fan of a specific football team right and so maybe i wear the shirts and the jerseys or the hats or or you know i collect memorabilia like to go to the games and when that team loses man you know it just really affects me emotionally at some level because i have a higher level of attachment to my sense of identity as a sports fan for that particular football team And then level four and five even take that to a more extreme level, right? Level four and five level of attachment to my sense of identity as a sports fan is an unhealthy level of attachment. Because at this level, my sense of identity is so wrapped up in this sense of identity as a sports fan that when the team loses, like, man, I I don't just have a bad day. I have like a bad weekend. I am mad on Monday morning because my team lost. Or I get frustrated at the outcome of the game because the referee made a bad call on us. So you start to see how when I adopt that or create my sense of identity around a, a sports fan of a particular football team, then the outcome can start to affect my life in a very unhealthy and negative way. Because I don't really have any control over whether the football team wins or loses, right? But, but I absolutely have control of how I respond to that. And when I create an unhealthy level of attachment, then I start to choose to respond to the outcome of that football game in a very negative way. And maybe that affects my relationships, my family, you know, that can, that can just ooze out into different facets of our life. So we kind of understand that from a a sports attachment analogy, but if you apply that same concept to a sense of identity as a religious belief or religious identity or a lifestyle choice, such as being vegan or, or something like that, So um, someone asked me the other day if I was vegan and I said, no, I I, I try to make sure that I eat most of the foods I eat as a whole food plant-based lifestyle, but I I don't like the the label of being vegan because I don't want to wrap some sense of my identity and be attached to that label, that lifestyle choice or what that might mean. Because at the end of the day, I'm still going to have a bowl of ice, ice cream at some point and I don't want to create an identity as a vegan and then I would start to self-criticize or self-judge if I want that bowl of ice cream occasionally. So that's the that's the reason I think it's healthy to look at our different roles that we create for ourselves and the sense of identity that we create and how attached are we to different facets of that. For example, you might choose uh, a healthy or an unhealthy level of attachment to your role in your career, And then if you have an unhealthy level of attachment, when you retire, suddenly your life is meaningless or you might have an unhealthy attachment to a relationship and your role in that relationship, but then the relationship breaks up. And so now you, you found that your center inside yourself is just completely lost right so you see how this could play out in so many different levels and different ways in our lives so it really was an insightful um book i highly recommend it uh, for that perspective of self-awareness and self um levels of attachment um okay so the next book that i really enjoyed this year or one of the ones that i would say is the best Um, How Not not to Die by Michael Greger, Dr. Um, Michael Greger. The interesting thing about this book was the title fascinated me because how not to die, you would think that was a subject that all of us would be interested in, right? If we are human, we are at some level interested in how not to die. So it was interesting that he titled a book that, but the book was really all about how not to die from specific diseases based on lifestyle choices. So, for example, he talked about the power of nutrition and flax seeds, ground flax seeds, and how ground flax seeds, like one teaspoon a day, could help you fight so many different, um, so many different types of cancers. So, just by being proactive and saying I'm going to have one teaspoon of ground flax seeds a day, helps increase your nutrition and boost your nutrition to the point that you minimize or almost eliminate your risk to so many different types of cancer. And he goes through that with a lot of different things like how not to die from breast cancer. And then he talks about the foods that you should avoid and the foods that you could, that you could include in your diet to minimize your risk. And he talks about um, how not to die from heart disease, you know, how not to die from diabetes. So it really helped me understand the direct correlation between and eating and what we eat and how that minimizes or maximizes our risk from certain lifestyle diseases. And so it definitely made me be more just intentional. You know, I've I've tried to to eat the majority of foods uh, that I eat as healthy, whole foods, mostly plant-based, but it really raised my level of awareness and intentionality to a new level when it just, I saw that direct correlation between include this, include this, and here's why don't include this, don't include this. And here's why. So it was, it was an interesting book from that perspective. It did get a little redundant toward the end because you're at some point, you know, the same foods and food groups start to show up. The ones that you probably already know are healthy for you and, you know, are pretty much going to help minimize your risks for certain lifestyle diseases. And they might show up multiple times in the book. Um, But that was just, you know, probably because I sit down and i read books like that in one or two settings. And so it did kind of just start to become a little redundant toward the end. Um, but that's just me. Um, and there again, seeing the same food groups over and over for the same reasons, but different lifestyle diseases, but overall very, very powerful book. Um, Dr. Greger later, after he wrote the book came up with the concept of the daily dozen, Um, foods that you could include every single day that would help minimize your risk for so many lifestyle diseases. And he has a free app that you can download. Um, I'm sure it's for Android, but I know it's for iPhone as well, that you can find in the app store called the Daily Dozen. And it's just a cool app because it lets you just go through really simple. And so for example, he recommends three servings of fruit every day. And so it has three little boxes. And so as you go through the day, you can check off, yep, I've had one fruit, I've had two fruits, I've had three fruits, and then it'll cross it out for you. So it's a very visual, very simple dashboard that really helps you eat intentionally and helpfully without having to put a whole lot of thought into it. So I'm a big fan of don't reinvent the wheel. If you're already in driving a cart down the road, right, there's no need. Um, Third book that I really wanted to just touch on in this list, um, excuse me, I read Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, and it was surprisingly in depth in in terms of introspective and and his growth journey. And it it surprised me a little bit. Um, It was a a good, easy read. I I learned a lot certainly about his journey and um, growth over the years and, and perspective on things. Um, it's written in a very frank style. So as he talks is, is how you're going to read it in the book, including a couple of words of profanity, which I don't, um, particularly like or enjoy, but, but I appreciate just the authenticity I think of, of acknowledging that on the front end. Um, but it was a, it was a neat book and I I learned a lot in there again, and surprised me the depth of insight and awareness. There was a lot of good, um, growth, Um, perspectives and his whole thing about red lights in your life and green lights and um, really good, insightful um, memoir that talked about how we as individuals can be focused on growth and how we should notice when things in our life aren't going well and pay attention to when they are going well, things like that. Um, I really enjoyed my friend Sarah Claudia's book, Unseen Steps. This is she has just re- recently released this book, and if you've heard me talk about Sarah Claudia, she's been a guest on the Fearfully and Wonderfully Me podcast, and uh, you know her story just touches me in so many ways. She inspires me, and so it was neat to get to see. Um, to read her book of her story of her journey from actually being a college student and then going through a surgery with complications that nobody could have expected and then just waking up being completely blind and and deaf in one ear. And so, you know, sometimes that's a hard thing to read somebody's story of, of a tragedy in their life. But the inspiring thing is, is learning how they've turned it into a triumph, right? And I think that's the lesson. That's that's why I love reading biographies or autobiographies and memoirs, because absolutely the hardship and the adversity is, you know, it's tough to read sometimes. But isn't that a wonderful thing when we can turn that into something good? And Sarah Claudia is definitely using her story Um in the lives of other people. So really good. If, if you haven't, for some reason, haven't listened to that podcast episode recently where she was a guest um, on this podcast, you can go back and catch that episode. Um, that was released on November 23rd. So it hasn't been that long. So certainly go back and catch that if you want to learn more about Sarah Claudia and where to find her book. I just recently finished, and this was one I just read in the last week or so, a st- um, Rudolph, Rudolf, and I hope I'm saying the last name right, Verba, um, V R B A. And the book, name of the book is I Escaped, How I Escaped from Auschwitz. And it was one of the more impactful books that I read about Auschwitz and um, the, the you know just the trials of going through that and living through that experience as a you know a survivor, clearly. And it was, um, it was more detailed than some of the ones that I've read um, and more um, comprehensive than a lot of the books I've read. And I think a lot of that was his particular attention to detail because he shares the story in the book, of course, of, of how he ended up being imprisoned in the concentration camp. But almost from the very beginning, he was thinking about how can I escape but not with the intention of how do I escape just because I don't want to be here, but with the intention of I want to escape so that I can go tell the world how terrible this place is, how awful, what's really going on here. And so because he had that mindset, he paid so much more attention to details and things like that because he, from the very beginning, he had the mindset of I need to tell the world about these horrible tragedies and help stop other people from being imprisoned here because the world doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, he at the time was thinking a lot of these people, particularly the Jews, told they were being relocated. And so they were willingly, you know, getting on a train with a bag and they had no idea they were actually headed to a concentration camp. So there again, that's one of those books that it's tough to read in places because it is a little bit emotional, but I think it's important to um, learn, you know, as we talk about learning the the lessons of history. And for me, that was one of the better books that really talked about the depths of, of suffering of what went on in the concentration camps. So, um, you, you know, one of those books that really makes you think and raises that level Of awareness. Um, Okay. And then last but not least, I read a really good book on leadership and culture of leadership and organization called The Carrot Principle. Adrian Gostick and Chester Elton um, wrote this book. And I've been a fan of theirs um, for many, many, many years. I don't even know. I don't even know. I think it was probably early 2008 or later in the year 2008. Um, Someone gave me a copy of their book, A Carrot a Day. And it was like 365 ways to reward or recognize team members. And it just had some really good um, ideas or thoughts on how you could recognize team members and show appreciation as their leader. And so I've been a fan of theirs, the authors for ever since I read that book, just because it was very practical, good book. So when I stumbled on their book, um, The Carrot Principle, I was so excited to read it. And it really was good. I had some good insights on why we as leaders or even as people need to make sure that we're showing appreciation, expressing that, recognizing if we're if we're in a formal leadership role, we need to be expressing appreciation and recognizing team members for the little things and the big things and how that translated into a culture that made people want to work there. And, you know, Mac and I talk about a lot of times when we're talking about leadership is organizations should have the mindset that they want to be an employer of choice, right? They want to be attracting top talent, the best and the brightest to come work in their organization because it's a whole lot easier to be the type of organization that it's attracting great people instead of an organization that, at best is not attracting great people and you have to go look for them, but perhaps at worst you're driving away People with great values that that are top talent driven, um, great leaders who want to work in the organization, they're looking for a great organization, right? And so high impact people are looking for a high impact team to be members of. And so there again, I really got a lot of great nuggets and great quotes from the carrot principle talking about culture and leadership. Um, if you are a leader, formal level leader in an organization, I highly recommend that. Um, it, it definitely makes you think when you see that there's actually really valid research behind what we already know is true is that, you know, being a great leader and taking that responsibility on, you know, it's it's difficult to measure ROI necessarily or the bottom line until you start to see some of the research that shows how you as a leader are affecting the organizational culture, your team's behaviors, your team's productivity, your team's morale, your teamwork, teamwork within the organization. And it starts to quantify how important great leadership is in an organization. So there you have it. Um, My top best, quote unquote, books for 2021. I have already started um, compiling my list of books that I want to read for 2022. So that will be coming, um, of course, next year. So really excited to just learn. It's interesting, you know, when I first started, just writing down the, the names of the books that I read, I realized that number one, I started being more intentional about the books I read and and choosing what would go on the list um, and a little more higher level of intention. But I also find that I retain the lessons better because, you know, when I finish a book and I stop and I put it on my list, I stop to think about what did I really learn from this book? Why did it interest me? Why would I talk about it on a podcast, you know, at the end of the year? What would make it interesting to somebody else? Um, if I was describing it to them. And so, I find that I retain what I'm reading at a much higher level. And so, that's always exciting because the whole point of learning and growing to begin with is to actually retain it and then do something with it. Because if you don't do anything with what you're learning, then you might as well not be learning, right? Until next time.